Cold and cough season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Fair Health for Older Adults understands that healthcare decisions are life-changing decisions, strategic decisions, shared decisions. FairHealthForOlderAdults.org provides financial and educational information for older adults and caregivers planning for a treatment, procedure, or ongoing condition. Fair Health for Older Adults, healthy decisions for healthy aging. Explore FairHealthOlderAdults.org today. Campaign generously funded by the John A. Hartford Foundation. Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Howdy, folks. Welcome to another installment. I have a strange episode brewing for you guys. I'm not big on synchronicities, but a funny thing happened when I sat down to write this episode. But we'll get to all that here in just a little bit. First, I think it's necessary that we explore the waters on the East Coast. We just might have ourselves... A river monster. The following is Devin's submission from the state of Massachusetts. Hello, Derek. This is Devin from Palmer, Massachusetts, calling back again. And I heard you were looking for calls about like outdoorsmen, like fishing, hunting experiences. Well, I have a pretty good experience for you. This was back. I want to say I was 16 years old, so back in 2016, it was summer 2016, I was fishing up in the Connecticut River up near my grandparents' house in uh, Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. And where it is, where I was fishing was below a dam, and when the dam is not flowing, the water's low enough where you can walk along the rocks to this one spot where it gets, I want to say it gets pretty deep. I don't know how deep, but it was pretty deep. And this was, this was definitely summertime. I want to say it was June or July. It was warm up, probably like 80, 85 degrees. And I was fishing, and when I fished, I usually fish for pretty good-sized pike. I've caught some pretty decent pike in that area. Well, I was by myself, I was fishing, and I was just, I was really having a kind of a, not a so-so day. It wasn't, not too many fish chasing, not too many fish biting. I believe I was using a number five size black Meps bucktail. It's basically like a two-blade spinner. It was black and orange. And I was reeling it, and one time I was reeling in, and I kind of casted almost like in the middle, but a little ways downriver. I was reeling in, reeling in at a pretty good rate, 
And as I got the lure within maybe three to four feet of me before I went to go pull it out to make another cast, I saw a shadow. And to this day, I'm so partly freaked out about it. I can literally feel the hairs on my arms just standing up right now because of it. It wasn't really a shadow. It was a de de definite like shape, at least, I want to say 10 to 12 feet long. Quickly chased my lure right in. And once I pulled out of the water, it came up within three feet of shore. And then, I mean, turned around and then darted back into the depths. At the moment when I pulled the lure out and I looked down and saw it, it, it scared me so much. I started like backing up and I stumbled over myself because I've never seen anything, anything, I mean anything, nearly remotely that size, moving at that rate, come just chasing something like that. Like I've seen pike in the river. I've seen pike in the river four feet long. I've seen 30 pound carp. I've even seen 10 to 12 foot sturgeon in that river but nothing that, and most people would say, oh, it was probably a sturgeon, cha sturgeon chasing. Absolutely not, it was not a sturgeon. And I can, I can validate that not being a sturgeon because sturgeons are bottom feeders. And a sturgeon is not gonna chase a moving object at that rate of speed. Because like I said, sturgeon's mouths are on the bottom and they're not gonna chase something like that. So I can, I immediately cross that off the list. And it was definitely not a pike. It was definitely no muskie. Definitely not a carp. Because it, it was long and slender. It literally looked. It literally looked like a 10 to 12 foot pole, like telephone pole, just just like screaming, like basically moving quickly towards the lure I was using. And then it turned around and just darted off. Like I said, I backed up and I was kind of scared because I thought whatever it was was going to come out of the water and just just grab me. I've never seen anything like this before. And then when I got back to my grandparents' house and told my father, my father was like, well, he, my dad was like, I can definitely validate for that because his best friend's father used to fish above the dam from where I was fishing in this cove. His best friend's stepfather was saying back in the 70s, he was fishing out of a kayak or a canoe, wherever it was, and he had something come up next to his canoe that was the length of the canoe and then turn around and darted back down to the depths and he'd never seen it again. So I don't know what's down there. The Connecticut River is always, through my whole life, my dad's always told me the Connecticut River is a really creepy river. It's because it's, it's a big river and it, it goes from Connecticut all the way to Vermont. And so the likelihood of something that big being down there is possible, but to this day, we don't know what it is. And I would love to know. All right, that's all I got for you. Thank you, bye. Thank you, Devin. It's not every day that I get to talk about an underwater cryptid on this show. A majority of our submissions seem to occur topside. But on those rare occasions when we do receive a submission, I get pretty excited at the prospect. And Devin's entry has given me plenty to ponder. Devin himself brings up a few logical possibilities, like carp, pike, muskie, and even the very likely culprit, the sturgeon. Now both the carp and sturgeon are bottom feeders, as Devin said, which means their mouths are located on the bottom of their heads, which Devin also mentioned most likely means they won't be chasing a fast-moving target like his lure. But I can't help but ignore the fact that the sturgeon is a massive creature, and other than the creature's aggressive behavior, really seems to fit the bill here. Now on the flip side of this, muskie and pike fit this description perfectly. They're both basically freshwater barracuda, long, slender bodies, dagger-like teeth, and torpedo-like speed. 
but the world record pike is only 55 inches, or roughly 4.5 feet. The record muskie, however, is a bit larger. The record there being 60 inches or 5 feet. Still at least half the size of the animal, Devon reported. Now assuming there isn't a rogue alligator gar patrolling the Connecticut River, we seem to be out of freshwater fish in that area to consider. But what if I told you that this mystery isn't necessarily limited to freshwater, and that one of the sea's most notorious killers could be our prime suspect? What if Devon nearly had a shark on the line? Impossible, you say. Well, as scary as the thought is, it is entirely possible. The deadly bull shark is often seen in fresh water. The shark's specifically designed organs allow it to process fresh water, allowing it to feed and even reproduce in lakes, rivers, and streams. And believe it or not, they've been seen in other creeks on the eastern seaboard. And there have even been a few attacks. It was 41 years ago that Jaws left America trembling in fear. You know the story. A rogue shark terrorizing a tourist town. While the book and blockbuster film are fiction, 100 years ago in New Jersey, there was the real thing, with eerie similarities to Jaws, a series of deadly shark attacks, and it began right here in Beach Haven. America thought they were having one last golden a gentle, innocent summer, uh, but that wasn't to be. Author and physician Richard Fernicola has written about the 1916 events. The extraordinary nature of the attacks, the viciousness uh, in that period, it, it still stands out. It stood out then, and it stands out even more, perhaps, in retrospect. Back then, sharks were a distant offshore curiosity. It was widely assumed they would never pose a threat to man. That all changed July 1st, 1916, when a 25-year-old accountant from Philadelphia, Charles Van Sant, went for a swim and was viciously attacked. Doctors said there was no doubt he'd been killed by a shark. Five days later, some 45 miles north in Spring Lake, a bellhop swam out beyond the breaker. He, too, was killed. What happened next would turn fear to panic. 25 miles north, where the ocean waters meet Matawan Creek, a sea captain walking near a drawbridge saw a large shark heading upstream. This is where he saw the shark. At an we went with Dr. Fernicola to look at the scene. The important distance is how far from this mouth, how far from the bay are the attack sites. Yeah, so They're about one mile. In the next 45 minutes, the shark swam that mile up to a swimming hole popular with boys from the town of Matawan, like 11-year-old Lester Stillwell. It was here where the shark found Stillwell in the deepest part of that swimming hole and took him under. The other boys ran into town for help. 24-year-old Stanley Fisher was one of those who answered the call. He and others dove in to attempt a rescue, and it was Fisher who finally emerged with the boy's body. But the shark wasn't done. He had come up to a, a little bit of a shallow on the bank and was viciously struck on the right thigh by this marauding shark. It spun him around twice, took him under twice. The boy was dead. Fisher died a few hours later. And the community, and all of America, it seemed, wanted revenge. 
crowds descended on New Jersey to haunt the shark. They set up bounty rewards for sharks. They used dynamite and took old spears and pitchforks and rifles and other weapons to try to hunt the shark. That clip is courtesy of CBS Sunday Morning. Now I know what you're thinking. You've probably already busted out your trusty map and determined that, although it's possible, the distance between the Atlantic and Turner's Falls, Massachusetts is roughly 100 to 115 river miles. Well, surely that distance is too great for a bull shark to manage. Well, what if I told you that it's not? Most people would never expect to find sharks over here in the Hillsborough River, but experts at the Florida Aquarium say it might be far more common than you'd think. Oh my God, my baby caught a shark. Sharks found in the Hillsborough River. This group fishing four baby bull sharks out of there just days ago. Cassie and Nikki Blanco delighted their son could see a shark up close. However, Alex Morris, who is with the group and fishes almost daily, was far from surprised. They get about seven foot out here. He says he sees them about this time every year. They're everywhere in here. Hundreds of baby bull sharks and black tips are in the Hillsborough River. I do not see why they would go all the way up here. Resident shark expert Eric Hovland with the Florida Aquarium says bull sharks can live in fresh water and have been spotted as far north as Illinois. We can find out that we have sharks in our own backyards and maybe in our front yards if you live on the river. He says bull sharks like these come into the Hillsborough River to have their pups. Bull sharks are traveling sharks. And says be cautious but don't worry too much. He says a shark bite from these guys would be rare. That clip comes to us from WFTS, ABC Action News, out of Tampa, Florida. And yes, you heard that correctly. Bull sharks have been caught as far north as Illinois, but they've also washed up in places like Iowa, Ohio, and even parts of the Great Lakes. And I've linked to a photo of a bull shark caught in Alton, Illinois, back in 1937. It's over in the show notes if you want to check it out. Now, as scary as all this sounds, and as dangerous as these amazing creatures actually are, those inland have very little to worry about these days. You see, dams have made it near impossible for these creatures to make it beyond them. Waterways that were clear 100 years ago are not so much now. But to wrap up Devon's sighting, I've spent hours down this rabbit hole. And frankly, at this point, I'm a little concerned there might be a bull shark down here. Check out this last little fact. As far as I could tell, the first significant dam a traveling bull shark would encounter on its way up the Connecticut River would be below the very dam on which Devin had his experience. I don't know if that solves this mystery, but I like my pony in this race. As terrifying as that is to admit. So thank you again, Devin. I had a lot of fun with this one. Okay, I wasn't kidding when I said I spent hours researching bull shark migration and so forth. So now we need to kick this thing into top gear. Luckily, this is where synchronicity seems to take over. You see, each Monday morning, I try to process as many new calls as possible. I download them, listen to most if not all of the call, and I have a naming convention and a filing system that I then sort them into. I usually get through maybe 15 to 20 before I have to start compiling this week's show. This week was no different. 
except for the fact that of the 12 or so calls that I processed, most had some strange correlation with the call prior, and in some cases, after. Let me give you an example. This was one of the first calls I listened to, and it's from a big supporter of the show. Please welcome David from Massachusetts back to the program. Hello, Derek, Addy, and friends. My name is David, and I live just west of Boston, Mass. I'm pretty sure it was in the late spring of 2014 that I had a memorable moment while doing some work in my yard one day. I was chopping up an old dead tree with an axe when all of a sudden came a little breeze, just the kind of breeze to make the trees sway ever so slightly. That's when I heard my name, David. I was sure someone had just walked into my yard and was calling my name. There was no one there. Then I realized it came from a tall oak tree about 50 feet away from where I was using my axe. I got so freaked out, I went back into my house. Was it just my imagination, or was the oak tree saying my name? I wish I could tell you. I just wanted to share this with everyone, because I wonder if anyone else has ever had a tree talk to them. Thanks, Derek and Addie, for everything you do. Monsters Among Us rocks. Thank you, David, for your submission. Now, this was the very next call that I played. This one from Wes in the state of Michigan. Hi, this is Wes from Michigan. I had a um, a story about, I was younger, I was about 10, and I was with my cousin at the time. We were at my grandma's house, and how her property was, it was woods. Then there was like a swamp in between, in the middle of their property, and then more woods. Well, one day, uh, it was a nice summer day, nice and sunny. We crossed the swamp to go to the other side of the property in the woods. As soon as we got out of the swamp and entered the wood line, I started getting kind of like a cold, chilly feeling. And it felt like something was watching me. And I said something to my cousin, he agreed that he felt the same way. So we just shrugged it off and kept walking through the woods. Well, we ended up finding a dry riverbed, not very big, about the size of a, just a small creek. This riverbed kind of just ran right down the middle of the property. So we just started walking it just uh, talking and we came to a tree I don't know how to really describe the tree but as soon as I looked at it I had uh, a wave of dread coming over me my cousin looks at me he goes hey I want to go back to the house I don't want to be here anymore well I agreed well as we were walking back down the riverbed away from the tree my cousin stopped and said that he heard someone yell at him we didn't think much about it, but a couple steps later, we noticed that there was some dirt disturbed where we didn't walk. So we kind of just walked up, took a quick glance on it, and there was items on the ground. And on these items, it appeared to be what they used to use to like kind of ship for gold, that little strainer, but there was like a lantern there, coffee cup. The lantern actually had a date, 1898. So we just thought that was really odd and we didn't know how it was connected to the tree. So we took the lantern, because I had the date, and walked back across the swamp and went to the other woods where we had our fort right outside my grandma's house. Well, we set the lantern next to the fort and went inside. The next weekend, we went back out, and the lantern was gone. 
And we thought, oh, maybe my grandpa and grandma or one of the other cousins picked it up. So we went and asked my grandpa. He said no. And so we told him about the tree and where we found everything, and he wanted to go see it. We went back out there, and we found the tree. The same thing happened. Fear, dread, horror just coming over us. And even my grandpa was getting uneasy. Well, he asked, he goes, hey, where'd you find that lantern stuff? And we're like, over here. And to our surprise, right where we were at, where the disturbed ground was, the lantern was laying next to the disturbed dirt. I don't know if it was paranormal or just us going crazy, but that's always kind of stuck with me. And it's the first time I've ever talked to anyone about it. Like, even me and my cousin don't even talk about it anymore. It just makes us uneasy. I just wanted to call and uh, give you my story. Big fan of the show, and keep up the great work. Bye. And thank you, Wes. That was weird, right? I almost never receive stories about trees, especially not back-to-back. But get this, it gets weirder. Of those 12 or so stories I pulled, two were also about UFOs. And again, both were eerily similar. To kick off this strange pairing, we send it over to Christina from the state of Florida. Hey Derek, this is Christina, and I am a Patreon subscriber. Just thought I'd let you know. This is a UFO sighting. I'm originally from Northwest Florida, so near Eglin Air Force Base, about 30 miles away, maybe less. But I would sit at night and sit on a swing my dad had made us in the backyard. It was probably about 20 feet from the back door. Not too far, but far enough where it was dark out there. But I would swing at night listening to my headphones or my tape player or CD player or whatever I had back then. This was probably in the 90s for sure. I was in middle school or high school. And I was sitting on the swing one night and just gazing up at the stars like I did every night. I spent every night on that swing singing, listening to music. So I was looking up and I saw something in the sky. It was super far off, like a, just a dot, like not anything hovering over like other people have seen, but just a dot up in the sky. And all of a sudden I started to see it zip. It would zip to the right, zip to the left, and it was just zip, zip, zip. And I thought, well, that's strange. <laughs> I've never seen a star or anything else, you know, a regular plane do that, helicopter even a military plane, because I'm from a military family and am in the military. So, but anyway, so I saw this thing zipping back and forth, and I sat and looked at it for maybe 30 seconds, and I thought this to myself. I thought, holy crap, maybe this is a UFO. And as soon as I thought the words out in my brain, UFO, it descended down toward Earth. It started descending down. It would go down. Two seconds away, it would come down. Two seconds away, it would come down. Well, this is still like miles up, but I could see it coming and just ever so slightly getting bigger, getting bigger, coming down. And I thought, well, that's not normal. So, And I was into all the UFO and cryptids and everything when I was young. Anyway, uh, ghosts, anything haunted show. So, of course, my mind's like, well, they're coming to get me. So, Because <laughs> I saw them. So I am... Um, just totally did like somersault Olympic, you know, shot myself off the, off, off the swing, landed on my feet and ran inside with my walkman. So anyway, that's my first UFO story. My second one happened last year. 
me and my husband had a business and we had a truck and we would ride in. I would ride with him a few days a week. Anyway, there's an airport near and this is in Atlanta, a clear day. And there was a little airport that's close to where we live. It was off of 316, going to 85, headed towards Norcross. If anybody's listening, you know who that is. So basically from like you're headed from Athens to Norcross to Atlanta area. Anyway, so we're passing this airport and we're both talking to each other, looking over there because the plane had just landed. And we were sitting in traffic, of course, it's Atlanta. And all of a sudden, this bright light, like flash of light happens from like behind a hangar. And we see something just like go up, up in the air. It is huge. Well, I say huge. I don't know. It was big, uh, big of car maybe. And it just went straight up in the air. It was bright, brightly lit the whole time. And it shot up in like seconds. And my husband, but we both looked at each other and we were like, holy crap, what was that? You know, I said, obviously it's a UFO, but it's broad daylight. So also clear day, it was in the summer. That was super weird. I don't know what they had over there. It didn't make a noise. There was no noise. Not that we could hear. There was no like huge boom or nothing blew up and like shot up in the sky or it was like a gas truck that, you know, shot up in the sky and something came down. It's unexplainable, really, what we saw. The bright flash of light, something going up, there was smoke and lights, and then that was it. I looked up in the air, and it was just like this trail of, of you know, dust or gas or I don't know what it was, I'm not a scientist. But anyway, that was interesting, and that's my only two UFO stories. All right, thanks a lot, Derek. I love, love, love your podcast. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Christina. And thank you for your support over on Patreon. I'm glad you mentioned that because I almost forgot about announcements. Here, let me just get this out of the way real quick. If you have a call you'd like to share, call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And don't forget, we're currently looking for museum workers or uh, workers from historical buildings or gift shops, that kind of thing. And also hometown legends. So if you have any of those, please submit them as soon as possible so I can get the shows rolling. Follow our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit. And keep the show ad-free by joining our Patreon campaign. $4 a month gets you instant access to over 35 bonus episodes. And you can cancel anytime. And lastly, you can pick up merchandise over at the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com. All right, now that we're back on track, I received the following call only one or two before Christina's. So you can imagine why this might pique my interest a bit. This one was submitted anonymously from Germany. Hi, Derek. I'm going to leave my name out of this. I'm a military intelligence officer. I live in Germany in the summer of 2018. I went to Copeland's Germany with a group of friends. We went on a gondola ride. We walked the, along the Rhine River, and I saw a party boat. I wanted to walk on because it was docked. I wanted to walk on, take a look what was going on inside, and then come back out. And this is nighttime, by the way. As I'm walking out, I look up at the sky. It was clear sky, great weather. And I remember thinking to myself, man, those are some really bright stars. Now, mind you, I was a UAV platoon leader 
in my career field at one point. My buddy who was with me, he's a UAV operator, and my other friend was also in the military. So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, those are really bright stars. That's very interesting. The only way I can describe what happens next is all of a sudden, they started moving irregularly. So like up, down, side to side, extremely fast. Literally look like you're looking at a star, a bright star, and it's just moving crazy in the sky. So I said out loud, can a plane do that? That looks interesting. My buddy, who is an, a UAV operator, he's like, no, I've never seen anything like that. That's weird. There was another couple that was near us. I think they were German. And they were also looking up at the sky. And we were all just fascinated. I kicked myself because I never pulled out my phone to record because we were just so mesmerized. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I'm fairly certain they weren't airplanes. A, because of the altitude. I mean, I couldn't really gauge from down on the ground. But it was high up. Like, again, it looked like they were stars. And just their pattern, the way they maneuvered was very, very quick. If anyone's ever seen Project Blue Book on History Channel, it's kind of like what orbs look like in the sky, but just way out there. So that's my story. I hope everyone's happy and healthy. Take care. Thank you, caller. There we go again. Two stories submitted practically back-to-back from opposite ends of the globe that both reported seeing something very similar. Not only that, but both submitters were both military-affiliated females. That's a little bit weird, right? To have two sets of calls, back-to-back, that seem to be covering very similar subjects. Well, I find myself saying this a lot tonight. But would you believe me if I told you it got weirder? Of the remaining eight or so calls, three had a strikingly similar tone. So similar, in fact... And I kind of regret ribbing the Hellier gang for making vague connections and blaming synchronicity. So instead of making claims, I'm going to share these calls with you. And as you listen, keep in mind that these calls came from completely different phone numbers, different area codes, different voices. To put it more simply, I don't believe these coincidences to be a deliberate prank. So enough of my jawing. Here is Dina's entry from the state of Pennsylvania. Hi, this is Dina from Southwestern PA, and I have a story that my parents experienced. My mom is very religious and does not believe in the paranormal, but of course, I love everything about it. So after this happened, she did call me to kind of vent and she still said she doesn't believe in it, but she cannot explain what happened. So my parents like to exercise after dinner, like around dusk. They usually go walking on the trail or in cemeteries. And there happens to be a cemetery close to their house. And it's just your normal everyday cemetery, nothing too spooky about it. It's off of a main road, more of a modern cemetery. There is you know, the older sections, but there's not a lot of trees. There's not a lot of places to hide. It's just pretty much open. So this particular night or, you know, dusk, it was in the spring of this year. So in southwestern PA, it was kind of cool. It was probably hoodie weather, 60 degrees or so. And so they were driving in the cemetery, trying to find a place to park to walk the cemetery. As they were driving, they noticed 
a old woman that was walking towards them. And my mom said she looked so out of place. At first, they just figured out oh, it was just another person that was walking the cemetery, you know? But as they got closer, she noticed that her hair was white, short, and very disheveled. She was walking with a limp, very slowly, almost zombie-like. And what really stuck out was what she was wearing. She was wearing a nightgown that was, like, very strappy, and it was nude. And the one shoulder was hanging off of her shoulder, almost exposing her chest. And so as they got closer, my dad said, wow, did you do you see that lady? And my mom said, yes, I think she needs help. Maybe she was a dementia patient that got lost or something. So they passed her in the car and my dad pulled over to the side and they both got out. And as soon as they got out, they went to look for her and she was gone. They looked around. There was no trees for her to hide behind. You know, they looked behind uh, monuments and, you know, smaller gravestones. Just maybe she fell just because she was walking so awful and they couldn't they couldn't find her. They got back in the car and just kept driving around, making circles, making sure that, you know, she didn't somehow go anywhere else. But in that short amount of time, she was gone. And they didn't walk that night. They went home and uh, my mom called me very kind of shaken up. Um, she said she doesn't have any explanation for it. She doesn't <laughs> believe in the paranormal, but she doesn't know what else it could have been. So that's my story. I thought it was spooky and great and just happened to, uh, I'm quote, non-believer, so to speak. So I love the podcast. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Dina. You know, each time I hear this story, I'm reminded of the character Roberta Sparrow from the film Donnie Darko. Just can't shake that image. But now that was a strange experience, but not nearly as strange as having the next two calls come shortly after, in succession no less. The first of the two was submitted anonymously from the state of New Mexico. Hey Derek, I was calling to leave a story for your law enforcement first responders podcast is coming up, I hope, or maybe I haven't missed it, but uh, I was a sheriff's deputy in rural New Mexico last year, and I remember it was snowing pretty heavily, and I always worked night shift, and it was about probably 2 a.m., and I had heard stories about this one particular highway that we had that went south into the county, and it kind of hugged its way between two Native American reservations. Now, the county I worked in, we had three different Native American reservations that kind of nestled in the county or bordered the county. But this particular story, I had heard from several other deputies about this particular highway. Well, this particular night I got called that a lady claims that she had hit a woman walking on this road. And I advised dispatch that I would go out there and check it out. And I get out there and of course I meet with the complainant. She explains to me that she was headed north back into town and she came around this particular curve and she saw what appeared to be a young woman wearing all white standing in the road. And before she could hit her brakes, she hit her. Well, I checked her vehicle. There was no damage. I searched the area. Couldn't find anybody. I told the lady that I thought maybe she was just tired and hallucinating. 
and to going into town and finish your business. Now, what struck me kind of odd was the time of morning it was and why the lady was going into town because nothing was open. So I went 10-8, which is back in service with my dispatch, and I left. About an hour later, maybe maybe a little bit more, dispatch called me again and said that the same lady had called and advised that she had hit a woman wearing all white. So, again, I go back out there myself and another deputy to check the area, but this time there's no vehicles, no complainant. We can't find any evidence where an accident had happened, no one had been hit. And the deputy that was working with me that night was also Native American, and he belonged to one of the tribes that was nestled in the county. And he explained to me that this was quite typical of that time of year because they would get calls about a lady in white, and they would get phantom accident calls to dispatch, and that it had been going on for several years. Well, fast forward to another couple of days, and I'm, I'm off, and I get to research, and so I go to the office, and I start pulling up old accident reports. And I start talking to the sheriff and our chief deputy, who had been with the county for altogether probably 30, 40 years apiece. And I find out that the lady in white story actually comes from a, a car accident that had happened back in the 50s. The lady in white supposedly is a bride-to-be that was en route to her wedding and had an accident head-on at that particular curve where everybody calls and sees her. She was pronounced dead on scene, and every year about the same time, people start calling in saying that they see a lady in white or that they see a car rolled over in the ditch or something to that extent. I'm no longer a sheriff's deputy in that in that county anymore. I've since moved on to a larger department, but I thought you'd like the story. There are several other stories coming from that area of New Mexico. There's a coal mine there that, you know, I knew a lot of the coal miners, and they talked of skinwalkers and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, maybe that's a story for another time. But thanks for the podcast. I really enjoy it on these long graveyard shifts. And uh, just keep up the great work. Thank you, sir. That is a classic story. It really reminds me of the infamous Resurrection Mary outside of Chicago. Now, yeah, it's strange to have these two calls submitted practically at the same time, but it's even more weird that a third story, perhaps a more chilling story than our previous two, was submitted the very next call after the gentleman's from New Mexico. So to round us out this evening, the following, which was also submitted anonymously, comes to us from the state of North Carolina. Hey Derek, I'm going to keep my name to myself, but I can tell you that I'm calling from North Carolina. I love your podcast. I've been enjoying it right from the beginning and it really makes me look forward to Thursdays. This is an experience that I had about a year ago and I thought I would call in and see if maybe it's something you can use. I was coming home from the gym. I think it was probably maybe February or March. It was about nine o'clock at night and it was cold cold enough that I put a hoodie on leaving the gym, which is kind of unusual for me because I'm pretty hot natured. So it was it was a chilly night. And it was misty and raining. I was driving home into my neighborhood and I turned left to go down my street. 
my street comes down and, and forks in a triangle. And in the middle of the triangle, there's a little tiny park that's got some azalea bushes, no tall trees, just low bushes and like a, a fountain and some benches. And then the streets are in a triangle around it. So I, I turned left. And when I turned left on the street, I could see somebody walking in the middle of the road on the far end of that park, right on the uh, the same road I was on, right in front of me. And it looked to me like, at first, a person wearing a long, like a beige, like trench coat, raincoat. And I even thought to myself, oh, that person looks like a ghost. But then as I got closer to the, the corner of the park, it'd be the tip of the triangle, there's a stop sign. And when I stopped at the stop sign, what was crossing the road in front of me was a young girl she looked like a young, a late teenager, early 20s, in a white prom dress. It was a spaghetti strap, white dress, and it flared out at the bottom. And she was barefoot, bare-legged, bare-armed in the cold. And she was talking on an old flip phone, like the earliest, if you imagine, and probably a large portion of the listening audience is not going to know what I'm talking about, but... The original flip phone, it looked like a giant brick with a little piece that flipped out the bottom for you to talk into and an antenna. And it, it was so unusual looking to me that at first I thought, is she talking on a on a cordless house phone in the middle of the street? She she had it up to her ear and I could see it. And I could see once I realized what it was, it kind of, the way that she was dressed and the fact that she had that in her hand, I thought, oh, that's. That's not normal. So I looked a little closer at her, and she she looked really 90s in the way that she was dressed. She had a one of the chokers around her neck, and her hair was put up, and it was back in the little twist with the little clips, the tiny little clips that we wore back then. And she's, she's talking on this phone. She's barefoot, and her legs, like around her ankles, looked really bruised. I'm stopped at the stop sign and I'm watching across the road in front of me and I'm just kind of startled because it occurred to me, oh my God, this might actually be a ghost because this is none of this is normal. She didn't look wet, even though it was raining. She did not look at me, even though I was, you know, stopped right there in front of her with my headlights on. She kept straight ahead. I could see her mouth moving. She was talking on the phone and it was almost the way that she moved, almost like she was gliding more than she was walking. It was the strangest thing. And, you know, I kind of felt like I was holding my breath almost. And she passed right in front of me and she passed to the right of me towards the park. And it was like I kind of unfroze. And I thought, you know, if this is a girl with very little clothes on out in the rain in the middle of the night, barefoot on the phone, regardless of how weird the phone might look, she might need help. So I rolled the passenger side window down and I leaned over to ask her, hey, are you okay? Do you need help? And she was just gone. I circled the park and she was nowhere. The only way that she could have gotten out of my sight that fast is if she had run flat out to the other side of the park, to the other side of the street where there are some houses. She would have had to have been moving insanely fast to have done that because all of this happened really fast. And there's really no place in the park. The park is well lit. There's really no place that a person in a white dress could have hidden 
even if she was laying flat on the ground, she still would have been visible. So I circled the park. I didn't see her. She, as far as I could see, completely disappeared. The whole situation felt really weird and almost a little unreal at the time that it was happening. And uh, it's not my first paranormal experience and probably won't be the last, I guess. But it was... It was odd, and it was completely unexpected. I had never heard any. I've lived in that neighborhood for uh, going on 10 years now. I had never heard of any indication of any haunting. The neighborhood was created in the 50s. Most of the houses date back to the early 50s. I know that probably around the time period that this girl was dressed, from what I've heard and been able to find out, it was not a good neighborhood, and there was a lot of drug activity, and a lot of the houses along that stretch of the street were rentals and was a lot of crime associated with the neighborhood at that point. I did ask around to some older people that have lived in the neighborhood a long time, and they didn't have any information. They had never seen or heard. I could not find any record of any murders or any weird deaths. And she definitely, the bruises around the ankles, honestly, in hindsight, looked to me like somebody that had been restrained. I have no explanation for it. It's just one of those weird things that happens that makes you shake your head and, I guess, realize that the world is a a lot bigger and more interesting than maybe we're led to think that it is sometimes. Anyway, thanks for all your hard work on the podcast and keep it up. And hopefully this is something that you can use. Have a good day. Bye. And a big thanks to you as well, caller. So there you have it. I'm not a huge coincidence guy. I notice them, sure. And I even point them out as much as the next guy but I'm not in the habit of looking too far into them. But this series of events seems different. It feels a little too on the nose. It's a good thing I don't quickly jump to conclusions. Otherwise, a coincidence like this could send me down all sorts of rabbit holes. But you know, just in case. If for some reason this is my final transmission, it was likely the men in black... Or I suppose you could blame our friends, the mirrored man. Things are just getting a little too weird lately. Or you know, I might just be making something out of nothing. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that brilliant score you hear, that's co.ag music. Thank you so much for listening. Please stay safe. And until next week.
You know, it's weird. It just dawned on me that our first two calls took place in Massachusetts. And get this. The famous shark attack in Matawan Creek took place in 1916. 100 years to the year before Devin's experience. That's quite the coinkydink. Of course, tonight's bonus entry had to have a small connection as well. It too involves the military. Now this call was randomly selected. I promise, there was no funny business. The following was submitted anonymously from parts unknown. Uh, hi, I uh, love the podcast. Uh, I've been listening to it for a while now. And this is uh, in regards to your military episode that you're looking to put together or military experiences. So served in the army and I was in Iraq from 2009 to 2010. I uh, served with a, a good group of guys, my set. I was set 2-2, second set, second platoon. We did convoy security in Iraq. We've seen some weird stuff uh, in Iraq, you know, and this one occurrence really stood out for me over the years. And at the time, I wasn't a big uh, crypto kind of guy. that uh, You know, I developed that interest later in life. But various uh, media mediums that I listen to and podcasts, you know, I've heard about these cryptids. It, it, it really brings back in my mind this occurrence. So it didn't directly happen to me, but in our convoy, we have about six fire teams, which is three men and a, a gun truck, you know, spaced out between various supply trucks and stuff like that, that we escort around the country. So I believe on this certain convoy that I'm getting to, we're heading out to FOB Echo, Forward Operating Base Echo, which is a pretty remote location out uh, Western Iraq, kind of southern, Southwestern Iraq. So I remember, you know, we're we're doing the convoy and we're coming up on this turn, a, a pretty sharp right turn. And, you know, it, it takes a convoy some time to maneuver this thing. You know, we're just kind of trucking along. And our convoy commander, who is in a 1151 Humvee in the center of the convoy, all of a sudden he gets on the air and he's like, did anybody else see that? And we're kind of like, uh, uh, what do you mean? W- what'd you see? Doesn't really explain just like you know just kind of blows it off like oh never mind so we get to fob echo we get settled in to our billeting and stuff and so we kind of ask him it's uh him staff sergeant chica and private wagner and uh, i can't remember who else was in the truck but we can tell that you know they had seen something like like or that something was bothering them trust me there's plenty of grab assing and, and horsing around the you know the younger guys and the privates and stuff in the military but you could tell that something was definitely weighing on their mind. So we finally got them to tell us that they had seen a dog, I guess. So when we're making the turn on the adjacent corner of that turn, there was a dog. But I guess that when their headlights kind of made full view of this dog, the dog turned and looked at them, and it had a full, gaunt, very defined human face. Now, they told us the story, and, you know, we didn't, ridicule them or be like oh you guys are crazy i mean you know in the environment that we're in and some of the experiences that we've had we didn't just take them at face value i mean they saw something and they're telling us they saw this dog with a full-on human face like a gaunt very defined human face not a deformed dog or something that looked weird like something that looked back at them with sentience and a human face so i remember at the time i just kind of took it as you know i don't know 
I didn't really think much of it. It's whatever. You know, they told the story. They saw something. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to share that story. Uh, it crosses my mind often. And, you know, I was wondering if maybe you or anybody else has any more information about this type of cryptid or, or what they are or I guess some information about it because when I try to Google it or I've tried to research it, I just get results with, you know, abnormalities and dogs and various things that happen to have kind of a human looking face, but nothing that actually explains what that might be. So like I said, these men are hardened combatants. They have seen some things in their life. Uh, we've experienced many things over there. And even with all the grab assing and playing around and horsing around, that they're they're pretty no nonsense type of guys. So that they were pretty disturbed by what they saw. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to share that story with you, and uh, hopefully you can use it on the air. I look forward to every episode. All right, thank you. Thank you, caller, for sharing that story. I got to admit, I'm at a loss for this one, but I did do a little poking around, and I found that. The Middle East is crawling with legends about dog-like gods. Typically, they're jackals or something along those lines, but it's still a canine species. Outside of that, I pretty much came up dry. So perhaps someone out there listening has a little insight and wouldn't mind reaching out. Thank you again, caller, for sharing that call. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night. 